Welcome back to Never Found, Never Forgotten. This week we're going to share a story that took place about five hours from where we live. Jalik Rainwalker went missing on November 1st, 2007 from Greenwich, New York, which is just north of Albany. He was 12 years old. Jalik had a very rough start to his life. He was born on August 2nd, 1995, addicted to crack cocaine. His birth mother reportedly consumed alcohol during her pregnancy as well. As a result, Jalik had lived in six different foster homes until being adopted by Stephen Kerr and Jocelyn McDonald in 2002. Because of his exposure to crack cocaine and alcohol while his mother was pregnant, Jalik suffered from emotional problems and he was prone to violence. He had tantrums that reportedly lasted over an hour. These behaviors made his foster siblings afraid of him and he was kind of bounced around from foster home to foster home. Jalik was uh, diagnosed with reactive attachment disorder. Um, And this was something I learned about in college during a class on attachment. Reactive attachment disorder is a condition found in children who do not form healthy attachments with their caregivers. This is usually caused by negligent care, but if Jalik was in six different foster homes in seven years, that could definitely be a contributing factor. And so we know that babies form attachments when they receive consistent comfort and care, and clearly Jalik had not received this. So, Jalik was actually last seen by Stephen Kerr, his adopted father. Stephen and Jalik stayed at Stephen's parents' home, and Stephen claimed that he woke up around 7.30 a.m., and Jalik wasn't there, but there was a note that read, Dear everybody, I'm sorry for everything. I won't be a bother anymore. Goodbye, Jalik. Stephen then reported Jalik missing just before 9 a.m., On October 23rd, just a week before Jalik went missing, Stephen called a crisis hotline because of Jalik's behavior. According to Stephen, Jalik had threatened a child in their homeschool group, and Jocelyn was afraid of him. Stephen said the couple wanted to reverse their adoption, which isn't Isn't a thing. thing. (laughs) Um, The crisis worker recommended respite care. So I used to work doing respite care um, for an agency that I worked for. And in that situation, a child had to have a mental health diagnosis and they could come to our program. I think it was for up to a week. Um, And so it gave their parents a break. It gave the kid kind of a break from Mm -hmm. the parents. Um, And we took care of them. Um, So Jalik was actually sent to Elaine and Tom Person in Albany who provided his respite care. Um, They had actually provided him respite care in the past. He stayed with them until November 1st when Stephen picked him up. However, Stephen planned on sending him to another respite home the very next day, and that's when Jalik went missing. So, like, this being, like, you, you've already been bounced around to foster care. Right. And now you're foster. Now you finally think you're getting adopted. You're, you've gotten adopted, and now they're still kind of bouncing you around with, right. with the respite care. 
Um, we should give you a few details on Jalik's time in foster care and his adoptive family. One former foster family wanted to adopt Jalik uh, until he attacked their daughter. He was then sent to live with Stephen and Jocelyn, who had three biological sons and one adopted daughter. The family had kind of an unusual lifestyle. They had no running water in their home. They used outhouses for bathrooms, and the only electricity that they had in their house was from a generator. Um, I kind of always thought to be a foster family, you had to have like certain things like running, running water home. and a nice heated home. Like, don't you have to fill out a thing and like have yeah, it and have I, an inspection and stuff? Uh, that's what I thought. Like indoor plumbing and yeah. Um, also, I found weird, especially as a teacher, um, they homeschooled all the children, which as a teacher is kind of a red flag because if you have a child that has severe emotional needs, it's just weird that they thought they were equipped to deal with them and not um, maybe sending him to a public school where he could receive, you know, the counseling or the resources that he needed to get help. Mm-hmm. Stephen and Jocelyn had said that Jalik was suicidal and homicidal. However, he was on no medication and was not in any sort of counseling program. And I have to wonder, where was the Department of Social Services? Um, clearly, they knew this child had behavioral needs. He was placed in several different foster situations. And then, like you said... Obviously not receiving what he needed. Yeah. And... Interesting. Yeah. Police conducted extensive searches of woods, rivers, and the area around the home. After a few days... After a few days of finding nothing, the police suggested that foul play could be involved because they thought it was unlikely that a 12-year-old child could survive on his own. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if all the listeners will be from New York, but November in upstate New York is really cold, and it was said that he was last seen wearing a yellow fleece pullover and jeans, which is not something you could last very long in outside so, in November. Um so, not rule out suicide or running away, but as we said before, if you commit suicide, you can't hide your body afterwards, so right. where is he? And if he ran away, it's unlikely that no one has seen him in the past 12 years. Um, one of the things that I read, kind of an aside to this, is, so Jalik was biracial, and his um, adoptive family said that he identified more with the black part of his identity. And so they thought that he ran away to be in a community of other African Americans or joined a gang. And <laughs> I thought those are... Again, yeah. Two very different things. Right. Um, and again, unlikely that no one would see or hear from, from him for 12, 12 years. years. Yeah. Um, so... After Jalik had disappeared, Jocelyn took a polygraph test, but Stephen refused. Polygraphs are not admissible in court, um, and both Jocelyn and Stephen have maintained their innocence. They believe that Jalik ran away. The family that provided his respite care, the persons, said that the note that Stephen found was not a goodbye note at all. Um, they said it was actually an assignment that was given to him by his stepfather, Stephen. 
Stephen wanted him to apologize for all the people in his life that he had harmed. So Tom Persons reported seeing Jalik actually writing the note, but he didn't read it. And I guess that poses the question, if Stephen is the one who told him to write the note, then why is he assuming when he found it that it was some sort of goodbye note or some suicide note? Like, wouldn't he have known it was the homework that he told him to do or the apology letter? And and something just occurred to me now is, unless he's lying, unless Stephen is lying and saying, like... If he knew that that was a homework assignment, but he's pointing to it as being like, oh, this is a goodbye letter. He just ran away. Right. Right. Elaine Persons believed that Jalik was harmed by Stephen. She has been an act. She has been active in the search for Jalik as well as. <laughs> Elaine Persons believes that Jalik was harmed by Stephen. She has been active in the search for Jalik as well as his adoptive maternal grandmother, Barbara Reilly. I think this would be Jocelyn's mother. Okay. So in January 2008, police officially named Stephen Kerr as a person of interest. They discovered that video surveillance of Stephen um, showed that he was driving around Greenwich after midnight, the night that Jalik disappeared. And Stephen had originally claimed that he was sleeping, so they kind of found a discrepancy. They also found cell phone records that showed that Kerr took a different route home than what he had reported taking when he talked to police. In February, a search warrant of Stephen's father's home, the home that Jalik was last had last stayed in, was executed but didn't turn up any evidence. Stephen and Jocelyn filed a lawsuit against the police department alleging that the search warrant was not legal. Barbara Reilly, which was the adoptive maternal grandmother, filed for custody after the disappearance, but her um, claim was denied. In July 2008, Barbara was charged with burglarizing Stephen and Jocelyn's home because she had reported seeing the yellow fleece pullover that Jalik was supposed to be wearing when he went missing. Police actually removed that item from the home for testing, but nothing came from the lead. Barbara said that Stephen had anger issues and was going to counseling for them, which I find odd that he's he going foster. He's going to counseling for his anger issues, yet they claim that Jalik is suicidal and homicidal in not getting him any counseling. Like I found that. And again, as foster parents, don't you have to pass some well, sort yeah, of? Yeah, and now they're adoptive parents, so I don't know okay. how much they're checking. So, so maybe they were already. I don't know how much they're Maybe still they'd being already adopted on. him, but before. Okay. Um, Barbara reported that she witnessed Stephen angry at Jalik and Stephen dragging Jalik from the house to dunk him into a creek multiple times. Um, I don't know why she didn't report this to social services or the police when she saw it happened. Um, okay. after you know, after the fact, it's a, it's too little, too late. Too kind late. Of. Yeah. Maybe it's like a, when you see it happening, you know it's wrong type thing, but you never think it'll get to the point. Right. And then it gets to the point and you look back at all the things that you were like, ooh, red flag, red flag, red right. flag. Right, yeah. Hindsight is twenty twenty. Yeah. Barbara also said that Jocelyn had kicked Stephen out twice in 2007 because of his behavior and because he was aggressive toward their other children. After the creek dunking incident, Jocelyn allegedly made Stephen write a letter apologizing to 
to Jalik. This just seems awfully familiar to the apology letter that Jalik was supposed to write, as per Stephen. Um, Jocelyn also made Stephen do all of Jalik's chores for a month, which just seems super juvenile to me. Like if my husband did something wrong and then I told him you have to do all the kids' chores for a month, yeah. I feel like you don't punish your husband. <laughs> I don't know. It's just weird. Like a very juvenile thing. Like you punish your children, not your spouse. An article written in August of this year by the Post Star said that a friend of Stephen's said that he had a phone conversation with Stephen as Stephen was driving from Albany back to Greenwich after picking Jalik up from respite care. He said that Stephen was very angry and saying terrible things about Jalik. And remember, Jalik is in the car with them, with, right. with Stephen. So he's hearing it all. In 2012, the case was elevated from a missing persons case to a probable homicide. Police have very strong suspicions that Stephen had something to do with his disappearance, and they now believe that Jalik is dead. However, they're reluctant to bring charges against Stephen because there has never been any body found. Police and prosecutors want to be sure that they get a conviction because he can only be tried once. Stephen and jo Jocelyn moved to Vermont uh, just a few months after Jalik's disappearance, claiming that the scrutiny by police and social services was too much. If my child was missing, I would never. Leave. I would not be moving. But no. okay, uh, maybe that's too judgmental of me. Uh, the case is still being investigated, and. Anyone with information can call the Greenwich Police Department at 518-692-9332. So for this week's top three, we'll come up with something snappier. Um, we are going to do three most annoying things. Go. Um, the crap that my kids watch on YouTube. So annoying. Because they're just watching other kids play with toys. Like, get off your Kindle and go play. <laughs> yeah. I hate that. Yeah. I always say that. I guess Stop I watching kids play and go play. <laughs> I guess I am the parent and I can change that, but I don't. Um, so, what kids watch on YouTube. Um, when people talk to me first thing in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Such I a am, bitch. <laughs> I am not a morning person. And, um, so many people in my life find it super important to talk to me first thing in the morning and I just, I can't, You've I can't. You've never been a morning person. I can't do it early in the morning. Um. Slow drivers. Cause you oh my God. Foot. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a little bit of road rage. So yeah. A lot of no, bit of road okay. rage. It's Don't people, ride with her. It's not people who drive slow necessarily because I get it. I drive slow sometimes too. No, she does <laughs> Snow time, I drive like a grandma. But the thing that annoys me is when people pull out in front of me. Just to turn. Just to turn. Oh, yeah. And don't use their turn signal yep. when they do it. Yep. Nothing makes, makes me want to rear end somebody. <laughs> it makes the rage. I just rage. Okay, my top three most annoying things. Number one, when people freaking smack their food. It makes, oh my like God. That? Yeah. My daughter does it, and it makes me want to do horrible things. <laughs> she knows that it annoys me, so she does it on purpose because she's at that age where it's fun to be annoying. Right. Um, but I can't stand it. Like, just close your mouth. 
just close your mouth. Like, so I don't have to hear you eating. That's my number one. <laughs> um, number two is when people are like making out hardcore PDAing in public. <laughs> like, there's a time and place for that, and it's not in front of me. It's not in line at Walmart. No. <laughs> or anywhere where I can see it. Um, number three is when, do you have someone in your life who gets into your bubble every time they talk to you? Like Are you gets, talking about me right now? No. <laughs> I like when you're in my bubble. Oh, okay. We you're, share the same bubble. You're allowed in my bubble. <laughs> um, but like some people, when you're not close to them and they go to like tell you something and they get so Sa- close to your face so close. and you're like thinking, I need to back up, I need no, to back up, I like need to get away. Sometimes I'll back up, like I'll take a and step away and you. they come with yeah, you. Yeah, it's some sort of weird, it's something that they have, it's like they have like, to be in your bubble. My rule is if I can reach out and touch you with my arms, you are too close to me. Well, you're passive aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> and I have some... Uh... That's dramatic. I mean, you can get closer to me than that, but... I mean, if I can feel if I can feel your breath on my face when you're talking to me, you need to take a good step back. Like, that's gross. So that is our episode for this week. Um, I do want to give a shout out to our most awesome editor, um, Ava Miller. She's ten. She's ten. Um, she edits all of our episodes, and she also created our, our logo, our and logo, and our music. music. Yeah, so give her some love. Yeah, because she's amazing, and I... And she's only 10, and I don't even know how to do that, so... And she is the main encourager of this podcast. She is. Like, she gets on us, like, are you going to record an episode today? Every Every Tuesday, she brings in the folder and tells me, okay, read it, come on, come on, go do your podcast, can I listen, can I listen? So, yeah. she loves it. She yeah. keeps us going. She keeps us going, and... I mean, she has the hard task of editing. Yep. Like, I wouldn't want to listen to myself. We just get to chat with each other and be cool. Yeah. Be badirties. Yeah. All right. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.